We're going to Matthew chapter number 2, Matthew chapter number 2, beginning in verse 11. The scripture says, and when they had come to the house, they saw the young child, not the manger, by the way. They came to the house, not the manger. And when they came to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. And when they'd opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Today, as you saw in our opening clip, we're going to be using everybody's most favorite recent Christmas movie, recent one, not favorite of all time, but favorite recent one, Elf, as the lens through which we're going to look at the best Christmas story of all time, the genuine, the real Christmas story of all time, and that is the Christmas story told to us in the Bible of our Savior. And my subject for today is simply the search for a father. The search for a father. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for speaking to every heart, every heart here, every heart at our locations, on television, online. We thank you for speaking to us deeply, uniquely, and individually. In Jesus' name, we give you all the praise. And everybody said, you may be seated. Well, Elf was a big hit right out of the box. In 2003, it grossed $220 million in theaters alone. It was such a popular movie that Will Ferrell was offered $29 million to do Elf 2. And he's like, nah. Could you imagine that? I mean, just do the movie. Even if you don't want to get get the $29 million, give it away to somebody. Anyway, I watched it a bazillion times. I enjoy it every single time I watch it. My favorite line in the movie is, Francisco. That's fun to say. I don't know if you recognize that line, but if you watch it, you'll see it. You'll go, oh, that's pastor's favorite. There are so many themes in the movie, so many wonderful, wonderful themes, but perhaps the one that connects with the Christmas story the best is Buddy's search for a father. He goes all the way from the North Pole through the seven levels of the candy cane forest and the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and then he takes a walk through the Lincoln Tunnel all to find his father, Walter Hobbs, who works in New York City. Buddy has always sensed that he didn't belong, that he didn't fit in with the elves, and discovering that he was a human living in an elves world and had a father that didn't know him and that he didn't know created some issues for Buddy. Issues of inferiority, issues of belonging, issues of emptiness, all of that to say the least. Truth be told, fatherlessness is a pandemic in our world. It's really a pandemic that has existed before there was a pandemic. According to the National Center for Fathering, fatherlessness or fatherless homes account for 63% of youth suicides, five times larger than the national average, 90% of all homeless and runaway kids, 32 times the national average. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes, 20 times the national average. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes, 14 times the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes, 9 times the national average. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes, 10 times the national average. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes, 9 times the national average. 85% of all youth in prisons come from fatherless homes, 20 times the national average. But when you put a dad in the house, 
Children with fathers, you know what they do? They're so much more likely to do well in all these areas and get A's in schools. But let's cave to the politically correct culture out there and redefine the family so that fathers aren't needed. What are we realizing? Dads are needed. This is not only an epidemic that is in this world, but it is symbolic of the greatest need of humankind, and that is to connect with their heavenly father, with our heavenly father. Fatherlessness is part of Satan's assault against humanity, and it is a shadow. It is a type. It is a pattern that we are seeing in this world of a natural thing that is emblematic of a spiritual thing, and that is mankind's greatest need is to connect with our creator or our heavenly father. This is the essence of life. This is the one true bomb for our brokenness. It is the crux of the Christmas story. It's the reason why Buddy the Elf left the North Pole, journeyed through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, braved the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and courageously walked through the Lincoln Tunnel because he wanted to connect with the father. Not half as much of what our father did for us so we wouldn't be fatherless. Not half as much as what our Savior did for us so we wouldn't be fatherless. He left heaven. He put on our earth clothes. He was born in a manger. He lived as one of us. He walked in our shoes. He was tempted and tried at every point. He died on our cross. He went to our hell. And he was resurrected all so that you and I would not be fatherless. The quest to connect with our Heavenly Father is the greatest search any saint or any sinner can embark upon. So significant is the search that in the original Christmas story, the real Christmas story, it highlights how the wise men traveled all the way from the east, from Babylon to Bethlehem, about 900 miles, following a star on foot or camel. Not in a comfortable car, not on an airplane, but 900 miles on foot and on camel. The journey was arduous, it was laborious, it was probably tedious, it was boring, it was tiresome. But to them, the journey was worth every ounce of effort, every pinch of pain, every moment of discomfort, every moment of weariness and toil, because they were on their way to discover the Savior, who is the only way for you and I to connect with our Heavenly Father. He is the solve for the fatherless problem. And my prayer as we kind of look at this message and look through the lens of the story of Elf is that that we would follow in the footsteps of the wise men, that we would take a lesson from Buddy the Elf, and that we would do whatever it takes in life, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your circumstance is, to locate and to find our Heavenly Father. For some people, the search is to discover Him for the first time so they can have salvation and eternal life. But for most of us who are saints, it's to discover Him through the toils and trials and situations of life, through the pains, through the ups, through the downs, through the heartaches, through the things that come against us. And oftentimes all these things, what they're trying to do is they're trying to blur our connection or our ability to locate, our ability to find our Heavenly Father because when we find Him, we find everything that we need. That's where our wisdom is. That's where our hope is. That's where our power is, our peace is, our deliverance, our comfort, our guidance, our leadership, our wholeness. He's everything that we need. And I don't know about you, but I need Him in every circumstance of my life. I need Him when the sun is shining bright, so I don't lose my way, 
Because sometimes during complete goodness, we forget about God. So I need him in those moments to anchor me. But I also need him in the dark moments of my life so that I don't get swallowed up. I don't know about you, but I freely confess I need him all the time. I need his voice, his presence, his power, his grace, his strength, his compassion, his direction, his correction. Like the old song says, oh, I need thee, how I need thee, every how I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. We need our Heavenly Father. We don't need a drink to make it through. We don't need a fix to make it through. We don't need something that's temporary that the world has to offer. Those things won't get you through. Those things will dull the pain for a second, but come back with a vengeance and greater pain later on. We need our Heavenly Father. The book, the movie, it's about a search for a father. The Christmas story is about making sure the human race is not fatherless. God doesn't want us to be, and I'm not cursing here, bastards. He doesn't want us to be illegitimate. He doesn't want us to be fatherless. He wants us to know the greatest father that there is. I want to share a couple of things with you about this search in life to locate our father. Through whatever place, through whatever space, through whatever circumstance, through whatever situation you find yourself in. Number one, it's a search that Satan tries to stop. I want you to look at this clip. I want you to look at all the things that try to stop Buddy's search to find his father. Check this out. All the things that stood in the way of Buddy finding his dad. The long trip, the raccoon that attacked him, the rejection by his dad, the guards escorting him out, getting hit by a car. Not to mention that if you watch the movie, no place to lay his head for a minute, getting fired from his job for trying to blow the whistle on the mall, Santa Claus, telling everybody that he was a fake. One thing after another stood in the way of him connecting with his father. The same is true in the real Christmas story. Don't think for a minute that it was easy for the wise men to make that 900-mile trek on camelback. Don't think they didn't experience bad weather, aches, pains, wanting to quit, sleeplessness, uncomfortable nights. Don't think it was easy for them to follow that star which we know at one time disappeared and then reappeared again. And don't think for a minute that Satan didn't send Herod to try to stop them. Why? Because Herod was hunting them. He wanted to kill them and he wanted to kill Jesus, who is God manifest in the flesh and their connection to the Father. Truth is, there will always be things in our lives hunting us to stop us from finding our Heavenly Father. There will always be things trying to kill Jesus in your life, trying to get you to doubt, trying to bring you to despair, trying to stop your search for your Heavenly Father and your victory. Satan will send all sorts of things to you to get in your way from connecting with him, finding him, and following him. I like to say he uses the satanic trinity, pain, problems, and people. The three things that Satan uses to get us to disconnect, to get us to not be able to blur our vision of God. Where are you, God? Why can't I see you? Why aren't you in my circumstances? Things like pain or the pain of a loss of a loved one or abuse. Problems like money or marriage problems or family problems or identity issues. People who betray you and hurt you and lead you astray. Pain, problems, and people. And when these things happen in our life, what do we do? They leave us asking questions that separate us from God. Well, if God cared, 
Well, if God was real, well, if God hadn't allowed all this to happen, the devil is always dealing doubt in order to destroy our relationship with our heavenly father. And the scripture warns us that he does this over and over again. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 3, it says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In other words, Satan is out to blind, to stop, to prevent people from connecting with their heavenly father. He doesn't want us just to be humanly fatherless. He wants us to, he wants us to be spiritually fatherless. Although really we're never spiritually fatherless. Either we're serving our father who is the devil or our father who is God. And we have to make that choice. He wants to be your, Satan wants to be your daddy. And he causes all sorts of problems in our lives to stop us from connecting with our heavenly father so he could be our daddy. Because here's what he does. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly over and over again. We are warned in scripture that Satan will try to stop our relationship with our heavenly father. Cause us to surrender in our relationship with our heavenly father. Give it up. Walk away from it. It's a trick to bring about the greatest tragedy known to man. Fatherlessness. And it will ruin your life. Both now and for all of eternity. Don't blame your heavenly father. Don't let the devil trick you into not trusting your heavenly father. Why do I say these things? Is it's necessary to call out the enemy so we don't confuse what he does with what God does, what he's like and what our heavenly father is like. There are three things I want to give you to remember about your heavenly father when the enemy tries to trick you into stop trusting him. Number one, your heavenly father is not like Walter Hobbs. He knows you exist. Walter didn't even know that Buddy existed. His mom gave him up for adoption and then died and didn't even tell Walter that he had a son. And so he lived a life without Buddy. But listen, your heavenly father knows you exist. Scripture says he knows you exist so much that every hair on your head is numbered. Luke chapter 12, verse number 7. It tells us that we are the apple of God's eye. Psalm 17, verse 8. It tells us that we are always on God's mind. Listen to this. Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. You're always on God's mind. God never forgets about you. He never loses track of you. He never stops realizing that you exist. Matter of fact, we, God, we, God thinks about us so much that it's almost as if from God's point of view, his whole world revolves around us. God, 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 everything that God does is for us. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that God is so interested in us, so knows us, that he knows everything about us. Listen to it. It says in Psalm 139, verse number two, you know my sitting down and my rising up. What's that mean? God, you know everything about me. He's so interested. He knows you exist. And number two, unlike Walter Hobbs, he doesn't reject us. John chapter 6 verse 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will in no means cast out. But he went to Walter. What did Walter do? 
He rejected him. Not once, not twice. If you read it over and over and over again. But our Heavenly Father is different than that. Even when we deserve rejection, He accepts us. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son in the Bible? Luke chapter 15, verse number 20. It says, but when he was still a great way off, he had done all of his sinning. He had disgraced his father. He had muddied the family name. He had lived riotously. The Bible said, wasted his entire inheritance, made a mockery of the love of his father. And then he decided, you know what? I'll go back home. And he decided to go back home, really not because he was sorry. He decided to go back home because he couldn't live anymore. Couldn't feed himself anymore. So when he needed God, sound like anybody you know. So when he needed God, I think I'll go back to father's house. And here's what it says. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him. That means he was looking for him. Can I tell you, God's always looking for you. Whenever you think you've ran too far, God, God is looking for you. When his father saw him, he had compassion on him, and he ran, and he fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Now, we don't understand what this really means, but in Bible times, rich, aristocratic dads, like this father in the story is painted, would never run. Aristotle said it best. He said, great men never run. It was below their dignity to run. But the picture that is given here is that God will lose all of his dignity because he loves us and cares about us so much. And if you think that's too much to say, that's exactly what the Christmas story is about. God stripped himself of his entire dignity. He gave up his divinity and put on our humanity. How humiliating is that? Why? He was running to us. Why? He'll never, ever reject us. Third thing I want you to remember about your heavenly father is that your heavenly father doesn't make it difficult for us to find him. If you're in a situation, you don't know where God is. You don't know what he wants. You don't know what he, what he has for you. You don't know where his guidance is, where his direction is. God doesn't make it hard. Matter of fact, if he has to, he'll speak to you from a burning bush, Moses. If he has to, he'll feed you with ravens, Elijah. If he has to, he'll put a coin in a fish's mouth to provide for you, Peter. He'll show you his wounds if you doubt, Thomas. He'll walk with you in a fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He'll sleep with you in a lion's den, Daniel. He'll speak to you through a donkey, Balaam. And like the real Christmas story, he will send an angel to speak to you, Joseph and Mary. And he will send a star in the sky to guide you, the wise men. He doesn't make it difficult for us to connect with him. The scripture says, seek in your fine knocking the door will be open and asking it'll be given you why because God is not trying to hide himself matter of fact God did everything that he could is what the Christmas story is all about to reveal himself he didn't stay up there in heaven he actually put on human clothes and said here I am hey over here and then he left a big cross and a big empty tomb in the middle of time and said that was me that was me. God makes it easy for us. Don't you dare let the devil trick you into thinking that you serve a Walter Hobbs God. He's a good, good father. Before I move on to the next point, I want to give you three things from the life of Buddy the Elf to help you keep seeking, to remain steadfast in your faith, especially when the enemy comes to stop you. And I want to set this up by showing you some things that, that Buddy did to keep searching for his father. Check this out.
three things from the life of Buddy the Elf. To keep going. To keep searching for your Heavenly Father when the enemy comes to tempt you. To try to disconnect you from your relationship with him. Number one, don't live suspicious. Buddy really thought that that diner had the best, the world's best cup of coffee. Why? It's because that's what they advertised. He didn't let the world poison him. He didn't let the world change him. He didn't let the world make him suspicious of all men or all women or all people or all leaders. He didn't question everybody's motive. He was innocent in his outlook. He wasn't cynical. He was not careful. He didn't, he didn't allow all the cares of life to change who he was. He didn't allow the circumstances to make him cynical. Don't live suspicious in life. I remember in my life, and some of you have heard this before, experienced one of the greatest heartaches in all, was victimized with a bunch of other folks who were in this business with me and by, by a friend and committed fraud and stole all sorts of money, money from us, bankrupted me, lost my house, lost all sorts of money, all this kind of stuff. And I remember when I was going through that, and it was not the first time I had been betrayed, the first time somebody had been disloyal when you're in ministry or even in life, it happens over and over and over again. And uh, my mother would tell me all the time, she, she said, you know, you're just too gullible. You believe anything. You believe anybody. You believe the best at anybody. And so this happened to me. And suddenly I started to think, I heard this, this voice in my head, don't trust people no more. Don't, don't, don't let people in so easily. I heard that voice in my head. But then I heard this louder, more profound voice in my heart. And that louder, more profound voice in my heart said this, don't let what they did to you change who I created you to be. What am I telling you? What I'm telling you is don't live suspicious. That's what the enemy wants. And when you live a suspicious life, you harbor bitterness and, you know, you don't take people at their word and stuff like that. Believe it or not, it starts to distance you from your heavenly father that wasn't buddy. But it was like, you know what? No matter the fact that I've been rejected, no matter the fact that, you know, I'm not going to let any of that get in my way. I'm going to keep on being who God created me to be. But then number two, second key, don't let anybody steal your joy. On his journey to finding his father, after finding out he was abandoned and didn't belong as an elf, after trekking through the seven levels of the candy cane forest and braving the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops and courageously walking through the Lincoln Tunnel, what does he do? He hops. He plays in the revolving door. He enjoys the free gum that was stuck to the subway rails. After being fired, having no place to lay his head for a minute, traveling all that way and being rejected by his dad and the outcome not being what he expected. How many times has that happened to us in life? The outcome wasn't as we expected. The outcome wasn't as we believed for. The outcome wasn't as we had hoped. You know what? He still tells his boss when asked, why are you smiling like that? Because I like to smile. It's my favorite. What's he saying? Don't let anybody steal your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Turn your frown upside down. Be thankful for every good thing that is going on in your life. Count all the blessings that you do have. Did you know that the mere act of smiling reduces your blood pressure? It lowers stress hormones. It boosts your mood. A British study even found that just smiling generates the same level of brain stimulation as eating up to 200 bars of chocolate. Anybody ever eat chocolate when you feel bad, right? And it just, just kind of makes you feel good, right? I don't know why that is, but it does. No wonder why Buddy liked eating candy because he also liked to smile. What do we learn? We're learning that don't let anybody steal your joy. 
See, when the enemy steals your joy and gets you bitter, what happens is he separates you from your heavenly father. Maintain your joy. Maintain your smile. Maintain your gratitude. That's how you keep pressing forward. That's how you remain steadfast in your faith. But then number three, third thing we learn from Buddy is don't give up. No matter how many times Walter rejected Buddy, Buddy kept going back. From the window he was sleeping in, Dad, it's me! To the present he brought him to say that I love you. But he wouldn't give up. History is replete with people who refused to give up. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. It was a heartbreaking experience for any teenager. But then he became the greatest basketball player on the planet even till today, greatest basketball player on the planet. Second greatest basketball player, LeBron James. First greatest basketball player, Michael Jordan. Oprah's on-air career had a rocky start. She was hired as a co-anchor on the evening news at Baltimore's ABC affiliate. An enviable job for a young journalist. But she was dropped after a few sh- short months. Walt Disney was fired as a young man from his newspaper job for a lack of good ideas. Then he started his first animation company in 1921. That quickly went bankrupt. He ended up eating dog food for real just to survive. Walt Disney, Dacca Records, they declined to sign the Beatles because they said guitar groups are on their way out and the Beatles have no future in show business. Ouch. Cut, dropped, eating dog food, declined, but refused to quit. In the real Christmas story, the wise men kept searching. Mary kept believing. Joseph stayed, although tempted, to leave. And they were all blessed with a life-changing relationship with their Savior, who wound up connecting them with our Heavenly Father. What's Buddy's message? What's the message of the Christmas story? Don't give up. Don't give up the search. Don't give up trying to find God, trying to locate God, trying to get an answer from God, trying to receive wisdom from God. Don't quit. Keep grinding. There is grace for the grind and a great gift that comes along with it. It's an absolute better connection with your heavenly Father. But then the last thing I want to share with you today about this search is it's a search that's worth the struggle. We've heard it said before, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I have my own version of that. My version is the struggle meant to stop you, God will use to strengthen you. The struggle meant to stop you, God will use to strengthen you. Look at what the struggle did for Buddy the Elf. Check this out. That one moment for Buddy surpassed everything else. All of a sudden, that all those feelings of inferiority and, and, and not knowing where he belonged and not being accepted, all of a sudden, they were, they were just washed away by the love of a father. That struggle that he had wouldn't have been as sweet had he not experienced all of what he went through. That moment wouldn't have meant as much. See, what happens is when the enemy sends struggles into our life, he means, that, he means for those things to weaken us. He means for those things to, to stop us from our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But what they wind up doing is they wind up making us stronger. They wind up giving us an experience eventually with the love of God that deepens our relationship with Him. Listen to how First Peter chapter 1 puts it. It says, these trials 
trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This is the amazing thing about God, that what the enemy sends to make you bitter actually makes your faith and love for him better. It's sent to make you hate God, but it eventually gives you an encounter that lets you know the love of God in a way that is so, so deep and so, so powerful. I promise you that if you'll keep grinding and if you'll keep staying faithful, eventually when God comes on the scene, when God shows up, when God shows out, when God rescues, when God walks through, when God carries you, suddenly you'll sit back and you'll say, God, man, you are more real to me today than you were any other day in my life. All of a sudden you feel and you understand what the love of God is like. It's a love that is unlike any other love. It's a patient love. It's a love that's not self-seeking or not easily angered. It keeps no records of our wrong. It protects us. It preserves us. It believes the best. It's an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases us down. It fights till we're found. It leaves the 99. We don't earn it. We can't deserve it. But through the struggle that has sent us stop us, we find our love for God is strengthened, strengthened. And that's God's word for somebody, strengthened through the struggle. Not stopped because of the struggle, but strengthened through the struggle, strengthened through it. How many of you know that if you're always working out with one pound weights, you're not going to get strong? How many of you know in order to get strong, you need to push against some stuff where you can feel the resistance? And here's the beautiful thing of God, about God is that resistance that the enemy sends in order to stop us. God says, no problem. I got you anyway. What was meant to hurt you, I'm going to use to strengthen you. Strengthened through the struggle. It did it for Buddy, but also it did it for Walter Hobbs. The struggle actually made him into everything that he was designed to be. Check this out. Did you notice the struggle became the story? Let me say that again. Did you notice the struggle became the story? We overcome the enemy how? By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. What does that mean? The struggle becomes the story. And the story pushes us to a new level of glory. What does that mean? The story actually becomes what pushes us into our destiny. This is the beauty of God. I just feel like as a Christian that I'm living in a rigged system. That I can't lose. I don't know if you feel the same way, but you should feel the same way. Because thanks be to God, the scripture says, who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. That no matter what comes our way, God has a plan to turn that thing. That struggle becomes the story that God uses for his glory. And he does it for all of us. 
this is what Romans 8.28 is all about. And we know that all things, not some things, not just the good things, not just the things that we want in our lives, but everything that comes into our life. We are living in a rigged system. Christianity is a rigged system. You can't ever lose if you are a Christian. You are destined to win if you are a Christian. And even if you happen to lose on this earth, which I believe if you walk with Jesus, you won't. Eventually you get the ultimate victory of all victories where death is swallowed up in victory. God works all things together for the good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. It's not working against us. It's working for us. What was sent to stop me winds up strengthening me. My struggle will become my story that God will use for his glory. It worked for Buddy. It worked for Walter Hobbes, and it worked for the wise men. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And when they had come to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you notice the wise men? They weren't kings, but let's call them kings. They were sages. The kings bowed before the king of kings. They humbled themselves. Struggles will do that, won't they? Struggles will make you realize that you need God, that you can't do it on your own, that you can't make it on your own, that you can't succeed on your own. The struggle that is meant to stop us and separate us winds up causing us to surrender. The old statement, there's no atheist in a foxhole, right? Even in those moments where the struggles make us get to our lowest moment, they actually become the turning point in many cases to push us to our highest moment. The moment when we say, God, I need you. God, I need you. That is not a weak place to be. That is a strong place to be. That's what I said before. Oh, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. And that surrender that happens in the struggle because we can't do it on our own, because we can't win on our own, because we can't uh, fight on our own, because we're not strong enough on our own. That causes us to surrender. And that surrender, did you notice what happened with the wise men? It caused them to leave another way. It changes us. See, our relationship with our Heavenly Father, when we finally get to that place where we surrender, it changes us. It causes us to leave an entirely different way, strengthened through the struggle. Would you stand to your feet? This world is crying out. All of the things that we see in the natural, they're symptomatic of spiritual things. Don't look with natural eyes. The scripture says, let him that has eyes to see and ears to hear, hear and see what the Spirit says. All of what we see in our world symptomatic of mankind's greatest problem. At Christmas time, God offered us that solution. The greatest problem in all the world is fatherlessness. The greatest problem in all the world. It is why the family is being redefined. It is why this world is now in an epidemic of identity crisis. It is what the enemy hit the hardest because if you remove the father, all hell breaks loose. 
That's what he's trying to do in the spiritual. Remove the Father. Remove the presence of God. Remove the knowledge of God. Remove the need for God. Why? So that we can be bankrupt. But Jesus came and he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And here's what he said. He said, he said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus came so that we wouldn't be fatherless. And as I do every single week, for the benefit of everybody there and everybody that's here, do you know Jesus? Are you born again? Have you bowed like the wise men before the King of Kings? Have you said, I need a Savior? Have you said, I need a Father? Have you said, I need you, God? If that's you, if you're here, you don't know where you stand with God, every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, that's watching on the other side of this camera, this is the Christmas story. God came so we wouldn't be fatherless. God came so we wouldn't have to be orphans. He came to know us. He came to live and have relationship with us. If you're here today and you don't know God, you don't know what would happen to you if you died this moment of this second, right where you are, no one looking around. I'm going to pray for you if you just hold your hand up. Hold it up and keep it up so I can pray for you if you're watching online. Just right there in your home, surrender to the Lord. Matter of fact, there's a little hand before you. You can press it and that'll let us know that we need to reach out to you. But for the benefit of those that are surrendering to the Lord right now, can we all say this prayer together? Let's, let's make at least a few people not fatherless right now, this moment. Let's solve their greatest need. Let's say this prayer together. Heavenly Father, today I come to you. I surrender my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me as I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I receive him as my Savior, and I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless all of you. I hope the Lord ministered to your hearts. We'll see you again next week.